back in the noisiest flat of all time. Yeah. It was quite peaceful, it's not Yeah, you wait. <laughs> Five minutes. Are there any gigs on over the road? Probably. Oh, I'm so thirsty. <laughs> Let me have a sip of my water. We're being so professional this time, we're not drinking any alcohol. We'll be able to tell if it's like a really shit episode. <laughs> I think it does definitely help to be a bit drunk. Yes. Well, now we're not. <laughs> Maybe we should stop drinking the sleepy tea. <laughs> just, like, do some shots. <laughs> it's okay, no, it's good. It, Maybe we'll be less hyper in this one. Yeah. So my mum put um, our latest one on the other day when I was around there, and it's just us laughing <laughs> for the first, like, five to ten minutes. <laughs> And it, like, oh, struck no. me, I was like, oh, maybe other people don't want to hear just other people laughing. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Stuff they can't see. I think see. if it was just an hour of us laughing, then people would love it. <laughs> that must have been weird, being there when your mum was listening to it. Yeah. It was. Why and then did my, she put it on when you were there? Because we were talking about it, because I was saying that we were recording this today, and she hadn't listened to any of the latest ones, oh, and right. was saying, what's the most accessible book you've done? I want to listen to that one. But she wants to listen to them after she's read the book, so read the book oh. and then listen. Oh, so, that's a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I said she should do the John Berger one. <laughs> no, not really. Pond! <laughs> oh. No, but I did think, because my grandparents were there, and I was like, oh no, I think this is the one where I, we talk about, like going down on someone or something. <laughs> Everyone there's like something you wouldn't want your grandparents to hear. I was like, I don't want to think about that. Like, yeah. I don't want to think about who could listen yeah, to it yeah. while we record it. Oh yeah, definitely. Otherwise you censor yourself. Yeah. This book that we've that I've chosen this time it would be quite hard to talk about without mentioning all kinds of sordid things. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to give this episode a 15 rating. Yeah, I was thinking there's no 15, I thought it was a 16. <laughs> nope, yeah, at least a 15, I think. 15 with parental guidance, yeah. Um, so, welcome to Find the Lit podcast, formerly known as Flat 26 podcast, with Em and Jess. Um, for this episode, I've chosen LA Confidential by James Elroy. Um, which was published in 1990, so it's basically the same age as us. Um, it's a really long book. <laughs> um, it's, what is it, over 600? No, nearly 500 pages. 470-something pages. Anyway, you could call it a sprawling crime epic about the L.A. underworld slash celebrity world um but I think it's kind of a bit more than that that I basically I loved it I thought it was amazing and it's I wouldn't really want to just describe it as like oh it's just a crime novel or it's like a an action film or a like cop film or something like that because it wouldn't really get across the nuances of it or the heart and soul or the it's definitely more than that yeah genius of it yeah did you enjoy it did you like it yeah I found, I had my challenges yeah. with it, mm. but I found some stuff a bit frustrating about it, but in general I really liked it. Yeah, same. I had to start it again like ten times, mm. because his style of writing is so, 
it's not hard to read, but you have to get into the rhythm of it, I think. Definitely. Um, into the world of it that if you just try and read like a few pages every few weeks it just doesn't work you can't do it it took me like I had to read the prologue about three times yeah and then yeah pretty much every time I picked it up it would take me a couple of pages to like really get into the swing of it yeah it is hard and that's why I think you can't just call it a crime novel for that for that reason because you think of crime novels and you think of the kind of thing that's like a beach read or something yeah I don't and I, I mean I don't really ever read that genre but I sort of get the impression that those books are appealing because mainly because of the plot twists and the, the sort of action and perhaps like the character development is sort of secondary to yeah. that. Whereas this, like I think the best thing about it is the way all of this violence and crime and intrigue and corruption kind of frames some really, really well-written characters and their development and their relationships with each other over years that you that you wouldn't even get as good in, like, a book that wasn't a crime novel. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not just about the plot and uncovering, like, the who did it kind of thing. Mm. I am really glad you chose this book because I don't think I would have ever picked it up myself. Yeah. yeah I've never really read anything like it, and I don't, I don't read crime novels, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, same. I, it was recommended to me, and I probably wouldn't have thought anything of it if it hadn't been recommended but I'm really glad I read it as well and it's part of a quartet so this is the so there's yeah this is the third one I think out of four yeah yeah so there's Black Dahlia that's one of them isn't it yeah the last one's called White Jazz are they all about LA is that I think so yeah LA LA quartet quartet, yeah yeah I want to read the other ones um it's worth saying as well we haven't watched the film we have not watched the film and apparently the film is quite different. I, I, I do want to watch it, though, after yeah, we've I done do. this. <laughs> I, was reading it, I was reading it like, how the hell yeah. would you begin to make this into I a think, film? Because there's basically, like, six different books all in one. Like, yeah. a, 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 a sort of mediocre novel, it would just be one of these plot lines. Whereas, actually, it's, like, six different things that you don't really think they're connected. And then they, they slowly start to be revealed that they're all connected so I don't know how they do it in a film I think they miss out basically a lot of stuff they just pick up on like a few threads of what goes on yeah and also just some of the fucked up stuff in it that I can't imagine them actually really properly going into it in a film I don't know how you would be able to depict like half the stuff although having said that a lot of the stuff that happens that is really like fucked up is more referred to in passing yeah. rather than actually it's a scene where you read it happening yeah exactly and that's that is one thing I liked about it because it was kind of it wasn't gratuitous in that way mm. it there's loads of it's like taboo bingo like <laughs> you can literally every <laughs> single thing like incest paedophilia child abuse yeah drugs animal like, sex bestiality yeah, yeah. oh just everything but it's all none of it's like lingered over and obviously no. like brutality like yeah. violence yeah, but it's, and it's kind of, that's where it gets its really comic tone, I think, a lot of the time, because it will just be mentioned in passing, just in a really blasé way, just yeah. like, oh yeah, and this person, you know, like, fucked a dog or whatever, yeah. and it's just like, moving on, <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to dwell on that, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, whereas, yeah, some sort of crappy films or books, like, if there was a horrible rape and murder, it would just be described, because that's mm. part of the thrill of it, whereas it's not, it doesn't really give you that in here. It gives you the aftermath of it. Um, yeah, exactly. 
gang rape. Oh yeah, gang rape. Which, interestingly, in the novel, is the thing that actually proves some of the characters are innocent. <laughs> because the reason these three guys are is basically proven that they didn't murder a bunch of people is because at the same time as the murders were happening, they were gang raping a girl. <laughs> that is so unlucky. <laughs> and driving her around different places, basically pimping her out to people. So they all testified that they couldn't have murdered people because we were all raping this girl. <laughs> so terrible. At least with the gang rape, you know, you've definitely got witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, the, should we talk about some of the characters, which... Yeah, I don't know how to talk about. I mean, where should we start? Uh, I don't know. So one of the things I struggled with yeah. was the extensive list of characters. Yeah, there were so so many, and that it kind of caused a problem for me. I think in terms of like, there were a few central characters who I really loved, and they were so well developed. Yeah, and I got so much out of reading about them. But there were so, so many peripheral characters mm. that I tried not to do that obsessive reading thing where I'm, like, going, searching back through the book and, like, who's that? Like, I need to work out who it is before I carry on. I just, I treated it like I was watching a film and I was just, like, letting it wash over me and was, like, mm. it, will co- it will become apparent who that person is. But people were showing up towards the end of the book and I was, like, has that person even been mentioned before? <laughs> yeah. Like, revelations, <laughs> And I'd be like, oh, God, this is probably meant to have some kind of impact on me, but I'm not getting it because I don't know who this person is. It doesn't help when they all have, like, nicknames and different characters call each other different things. I I think, yeah, I I know what you mean. It does help to, to like, read it in quite an intense period, like a short space of time, and just read it, like, all afternoon or something Mm -hmm. because things start to stick. But there are definitely peripheral characters, like, random kind of gangsters that are sort of important to the plot but but aren't like fleshed out as proper characters yeah and yeah I think but then it wouldn't really be the novel it is without those all these extra people would it because it kind of feeds into the frenzy of the setting and the confusion and oh definitely and you couldn't have as intricate a plot and all of these kind of twists and turns and stuff without it because you know in a kind of maybe more simple crime novel, there's going to be a smaller cast of characters and you can essentially be like, you're just trying to find, work out who did one thing. Whereas this, it's just, basically everyone's guilty in this book. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, yeah, we could talk about that in terms of morality and what, and if there is like a sort of moral um, compass to any of the characters or if, if you think James Elroy is trying to trying to make a point about morality or should we talk about that in relation to the main three characters and what motivates who are your main three i've got ed exley yeah bud white Uh uh-huh and jack the third one jack (laughs) vincennes i was just saying vincent i've definitely made that up (laughs) yeah they're the three main jack it it alternates between their stories doesn't it yeah they are i think they are the three yeah so uh they're all policemen Yep, they're all policemen of, of like different ranks. Um, my favourite was Ed Exley. Your favourite in what way? As in, not most not, interesting. Yeah, because okay. of his development. I think Bud White is the one that you're just rooting for the whole time, even though you're sort of also like, oh, Bud, why, why are you doing that? But you kind of, yeah, you. He's almost like I think he he is like the. Um, like the 
person who has the most integrity in the whole novel, mm. even though he is the mo- one of the most violent ones and erratic and, you know, has killed people unnecessarily. And I'd say he was kind of the more classic hero. If you were, if yeah. you were imagining it as a yeah. film as well, he'd be the one who's, like, really badass and, like, yeah. just, like, punching bad guys. And he, so all of them have something from their past, don't they, that yeah. they're, that's kind of hanging over them. And yeah. his thing is that his mum was really badly be- beaten and abused. And yeah. Was she killed? I can't remember. I can't remember. The beginning of the book is was so long ago. I don't think she's alive anymore because no. you never, yeah, you never like meet her as a character. So maybe he, she gets killed or, you yeah. know, in general, like she's abused by a, a guy. And then after that, he always has this thing for men who beat up women and that's kind of like his I don't know like his trigger if you like like if he yeah it's like his life's mission is to kind of avenge his mother essentially so he spends most of his time following up on guys who've been in prison for a little bit um for beating up a woman and then they get let out or they're on parole or something and he basically visits them and beats them up and sort of threatens them um and none of the other policemen really get it and they sort of think he's a bit of a joke um but actually his that that's like when we meet him in the story that's basically what he does all the time and then he starts realizing that loads of prostitutes are getting murdered and they're not it's not really being investigated um and he then goes out um on his own to try and find out who did it and that kind of ties into the ridiculous that's how he uncovers a lot of the other stuff that's going on in the other things that are being investigated yeah yeah he, um, I felt like his whole kind of character a lot of the time is he's driven by revenge most of the time because if it's not yeah. about his mum, it's about like the other police officers. So yeah. for a lot of the book, he hates Ed Exley. Yeah, he wants because, to kill him. Yeah, so he's essentially this character who I feel like is motivated by competition mm. with his own dad who was a policeman and famously solved this murder case back yeah. in the day and his brother who died, who was a policeman as well and died through getting shot. And he was the favourite brother or whatever. So you feel like he's just constantly competing with his family to Mm -hmm. get higher and higher up in the police and and stuff. And so he kind of snitches quite early on in the book and it ends up with some policemen getting sent down for this kind of fight that breaks out in the prison. Yeah, and it's weird because... Because what they do is they're all these policemen are drunk and it's Christmas and they basically gratuitously beat up a bunch of petty criminals and really injure them. And Ed Exley basically dobs them all in. Um, so kind of, if you're looking at it objectively, you think he did the right thing because they shouldn't have beaten up all these people and, like, broke their, like, you know, broke all their bones and beat them half to death. Um, because that wasn't, you know, that wasn't following the law and it wasn't right, but because you're sort of in the world of the novel, you kind of don't like him as well. You're like, oh, you snitch. (laughs) Why did you do that? I think also because you know his motivation behind it isn't one of... um, It's not morally driven as a decision, I don't think. He is a very principled guy, but I don't think think he's principled in a moral sense. Well, I think that's the change in him because I think he starts to become that way towards the the end. But I think, I don't think it's like, oh, he'd do anything to like rise in the ranks. I think he, the, the, what the change is that he genuinely believes that, um, that like fight, fighting for justice means being like his father and Mm -hmm. almost that if he 
always follows like the line of what's just and what's legal that will equal doing the right thing and therefore he'll just automatically be like um promoted and then if he's promoted he'll have more power to seek justice and do the right thing whereas then he kind of, that starts to unravel and he realizes it's not really the way it works i think his primary motivation though is always appearance over reality because there's that whole thing as well about him being a war hero but he's made the whole yeah. story up yeah yeah he's yeah it's like mad men anyway um haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, that, yeah, you're right actually. It's it's appearing to be a hero and in control and and not afraid, which is why when they solve the night owl case or solve in kind of inverted commas, yeah. they they haven't actually solved it, but he's happy to go along with it because yeah. he comes yeah. off as the hero. Yeah. And then as the book goes on, potentially, you know, his the reputation of his family and and himself potentially is in jeopardy, but he still makes the right decision, doesn't he? Mm. Even though it could mean yeah. all of that stuff is uncovered. But he's very brave toward the end and goes from wanting to be everything that Bud White isn't, basically following in his footsteps and, and inspiring him to kind of do the right thing. Um, and he says, uh, yeah, he says to, um, there's like a really nice little ending section where it's only like, couple of pages where it's basically bud and ed saying goodbye to each other sort of that bit was so cinematic end. yeah i bet I they included that bit in the film yeah um and ed says to bud you are my redemption and it's like in a really sort of affectionate way like he's like putting his hand to the the window where bud's sitting in the car and i was just like why does he say that so like i was trying to think about it because he says you are my redemption it's like although like from the outside it looks like Ed Exley's just descended into like violence and crime and Mm. has lost his path actually by by getting himself involved with everything that's gone on he's kind of I don't know he's he's actually found himself rather than trying to like be his father or be his brother he's like found who he is he has he has some kind of moral compass yeah he's finally got some integrity yeah Whereas you could say Bud has a moral compass, it's almost, and he doesn't necessarily deal with it in the right way, but it's almost too strong a moral compass. Like he, yeah. he can only do this one thing, which is like, yeah, you know, and he doesn't necessarily deal with it in the right way because he just basically gets angry and beats everyone up who thinks he's done something wrong. Yeah, they're definitely the most interesting to take as a pair, like yeah. the relationship between you them. You could two. never believe, like from reading the first section where they just hate each other, you could never foresee like that real, like, f- friendship and l- basically love that's between them by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd never think that it would, like, James Elwell would be able to pull it off, but he yeah. does. I think in comparison to them two, Jack... V. Vincent. <laughs> v. <laughs> Jackie V. Um, he is the least... I don't know. He is redeemed the least, I think. I haven't... Yeah, I can't remember his whole, like trajectory as much but I think he's probably the most tragic character yeah potentially because he but he does yeah because he he's an alcoholic isn't well yeah he's a drug addict and an alcoholic and marries a woman who's quite upper class and Mm -hmm. sort of lives this lie of trying to be this perfect policeman because that's what 
she fell in love with mm-hmm. and then that all kind of unravels so he keeps mm-hmm. so much from her i mean yeah. actually in that way because obviously she finds that all out in the end yeah. But forgives him, doesn't? That's, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, that's what was. I I think that I think that bit made me cry when yeah, he because then she leaves him that note. Yeah, because basically he thinks, oh fuck, my life's over because she's found out like I'm I've done all this terrible stuff. But actually, she basically forgives him because she loves him and says, let's just like carry on living our lives mm. and together. Um, but then he gets killed, which is really tragic. That bit was really yeah. sad when I realised because actually maybe he could have. Maybe that storyline could have been more yeah. um, redemptive or whatever like, yeah. if he'd carried if he'd carried yeah. on living because then he'd have had someone there who he could be honest with. Yeah, because his whole kind of thing revolves around him hiding this secret, which is that he killed these two innocent people. Mm. And I think that that's maybe where a lot of his addiction stems from, possibly. Mm. Like, but then the whole book is just like him just constantly kind of being drunk or high or mm. and always kind of basically hating himself and feeling like he's letting people down and And addicted to sex as well yeah and porn yeah yeah and then eventually right like right before he gets killed he kind of has this like moment doesn't he where it's like he can see a light and he can see how his life could improve by like you said by finally not having this like burden on him yeah and it's really horrible because he gets murdered well yeah he gets shot and that's like a classic kind of James Elroy style thing where you literally read the sentence where he dies and you don't even realise what's happened. (laughs) Whereas in any other novel it would be like, we're building up to this huge big sad thing, oh no, this terrible thing's happened, whereas I literally read past it and then had to be like, wait, what? And then go back. This is the other thing which I simultaneously really loved about it, but also something I struggled with, because I loved how extreme it was and how energetic it was, and how every sentence it feels like it feels that every sentence is punching you in the face yeah. <laughs> yeah but because of that and because the pace barely lets up and it's quite uniform in it's kind of tone and emphasis mm. like it has the same kind of high octane thing when someone's looking through a file as it does when someone's being brutally murdered yeah. so it's hard Whereas, like, a normal book would pick up pace around those things and yeah. the sentences would get shorter and, yeah. you know... and it would sort of signal to the reader, like, oh, yeah. something's happening. Something important's going like to happen. That. In this book, it's like, something important can just happen and then you're, yeah. you do a double take. But that <laughs> kind of mirrors, like, Jack's mind because, because he's always, like, completely off his face, essentially. Mm. And all the kind of, like, amphetamines he takes and things, he's, like, always going a mile a minute. It is, like... He's, it, it's like describing him just like going home to have a shower and it's like, got in the car, went home, had a shower, like ate a bagel like, and it's just really stressful and I, I felt like my heart was like racing yeah. really fast. So it's almost like when he dies, it is just like another one of those things. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. I, I've, I've it's, got, it's like that all the way through. Read an example. Well, I've got the bit where he gets killed. Okay. I mean, we've probably made, it'll be really obvious now because we've said it. Um, I'll read like this little pa- paragraph so they're in the middle of this big kind of shootout type thing okay bud ran hit the car for platform opened the door a dead guard just inside inmates running helter skelter bud fired pumped fired three went down one aimed a handgun bud pumped fired missed a crate beside the man exploded jack jumped on the platform the inmate squeezed a shot jack caught it in the face spun hit the tracks the shooter ran bud pumped hit empty (laughs) yeah that's where jack dies (laughs) It's like, wow! <laughs> so hard to read. Yeah. It's amazing, though. 
And actually, the because um, each is obviously split into parts, and at the end of each part, there's this. It stops being narrated like that and stops following those three characters and it's almost mm. just little clips of newspapers yeah. and stuff isn't it which also was quite um cinematic because i just imagined these kind of like spinning newspapers yeah, right, like in a movie <laughs> actually we could talk about that because that yeah that's like this huge difference in like pace and style when you go from yeah. these like staccato like action hyperactive descriptions to suddenly you'll just have like 10 pages of just newspaper articles yeah and it's and it's really sort of as if it's like really real so it'll have like the newspaper name and the date and the um and yeah and the name of the article and that that was a really cool device um sometimes it revealed things that you already knew about so like drama that you'd already found out but it tells the official story of it in the newspapers, which you know is, like, really incorrect. Mm-hmm. And it's this really weird sensation where you're like, that's not what's going on, but that's just how the newspapers are reporting it. Or what I found even more disconcerting was that sometimes, just in the middle of, like, all these different articles, it will tell you something as a reader that you hadn't known happened. The plot will develop and, yeah, through those. So something, yeah. like, really major, like someone getting killed or just some big change you'll just see it for the first time in one of these articles mm. and that feels like you I felt like almost kind of a bit like let down like oh I want cheated I, yeah <laughs> like I wanted to be there in the story when it was happening and you just have to read about it in this yeah. article yeah and it's really strange also it's quite a good device because at one point they've closed this murder case the night owl massacre and then they it reopens because of pressure from the yeah. press so you yeah. read all of that mounting pressure yourself in those yeah. um newspaper articles and stuff and they do like they have kind of articles from the mainstream newspapers like the LA Times and all these different LA newspapers and then they also have extracts from um a gossip magazine called Hush Hush which is actually really integral to the plot because the guy who writes for Hush Hush ends up getting killed. That's mm. the guy. Um, but it's like a gossip magazine which reports on the the sordid secret lives of LA's rich and famous and tries to expose um, all the, the stuff they get up to. Um, but weirdly enough, most of the time, that magazine was the closest to the truth, the stuff that gossip magazine mm-hmm. was writing, even though it is kind of just this horrible kind of gratuitous gossip magazine they because their editor gets killed they are really I don't know if he was the editor actually but the main one of the main reporters for it they're then like really pushing for the truth to come out yeah well and also Jack is one of the main characters Jack is informing isn't he or he he is when that Sid guy is alive yeah Sid that was it yeah he pays him to um inform on stuff he finds out yeah but then I sort of was thinking, at what cost? Because that gossip magazine is obviously tells the truth because it does expose like all the stuff that these rich and famous people are getting up to. But it's that doesn't re- it, they don't really have like a moral compass either because they'll blackmail people, um, they'll kind of on purpose put people into situations so that they can then do a massive story on them, and eventually it leads to one of them getting murdered. Basically, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who do you see as apart from Bud? Who else has a moral compass and Ed towards the end in this book? 
because it was quite, I quite liked the equality of it in terms of pretty much everyone in it is pretty terrible, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that, maybe Lynn, Lynn's quite a cool character. I was about to say her, you mean Lynn Bracken? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say her, probably, is mm. the only other one. That's another weird, like, thing with Bud and Ed, is that Ed, uh, no, um, Bud White is has a relationship with this woman and Ed, Ed sleeps with her and Ed has a relationship with Inez and Bud sleeps with her. Yeah. So they basically cheat on each other. And they're obviously, girlfriends. yeah, that was a way of kind of pitting them against each other yeah. or making them this kind yeah. of like weird dichotomy. She, yeah, she's an interesting character. She's the one who was one of the prostitutes who looked like, which famous person was it? I can't remember. One of the famous actresses. But they have this plastic surgeon who basically does plastic surgery on the prostitutes to make mm. them look more like famous people. So yeah. more men want to sleep with them, essentially. But she doesn't have plastic surgery. Oh, no, She's she just actually... One. But she dyes her hair blonde, doesn't yeah. she, to look more like... Why? So I did not really understand. Why does she sleep with Ed? Is it a power thing? Is she trying to get information I... out of him or trying to get away with not giving him information because I didn't really get the motivation behind that yeah I thought it was almost like she actually just in the moment was just overcome with like desire I think she did kind of have feelings for him in a weird way as well yeah maybe I think it was also to try and because she did want him to tell her things and then he did kind of give give loads away didn't he but I don't think it was just like she was really like methodically thought I'm going to sleep with him to get information out of him I think she actually did kind of have feelings for him I guess because she was a prostitute and she had sex all the time with loads of people it was almost like to her sex was kind of different to maybe how it would be for somebody else and that she actually just had affection for him or kind of felt sorry for him or empathize with him and her way of maybe expressing that was like I'm actually going to have sex with you and yeah enjoy it and not be doing it for money speaking about sex and the way sex is used or people's motivation for having it one of the really interesting or weird parts of it I thought was Innis yeah what's her second name Soto or Soto yeah so she's this um she's the a Mexican girl who is tied into the kind of plot because she's the one being gang raped by this group of men who then the night owl gets pinned on um and after she basically won't give ed any information will she she basically refuses to help him with the case because bud she bud is like her hero because he wants to he wants to find out who did it to her and murder them. Yeah. And Ed just wants to put them in prison, basically. Yeah. And she wants them dead. Yeah. So she basically mm. wants Bud and fancies Bud. And she starts sleeping with him, yeah. doesn't she? Because he's like her hero kind of thing. And then Ed actually ends up murdering the three guys, which his motivation yeah. is probably her, right? Yeah. Um, wrongly, even though they gang raped her. And then immediately she sleeps with him yeah. and moves in with him yeah. because he's done that and she's a really weird character she is because she and because she's kind of like presented as like this victim obviously which she is but then also like i don't know whether this is actually how people were treated back then but she's treated like really badly by the police because they just see her as like this uncooperative 
witness basically yeah and they keep trying to like drug her so that she'll kind of tell them more information when actually she's obviously has got some kind of like ptsd or something and she can't actually talk about it because she doesn't want to think about it because she's so traumatized Mm -hmm. um and then she and then she's really obsessed with dream a dreamland which is their sort which is like disneyland basically the fictional disneyland to the point where she kind of gets does ed help her but she she kind of basically like gets to work there and live there and it's like she's retreating to this childhood fantasy of like safety and innocence yeah after everything that's happened to her and her family disown her because they blame her for getting raped (laughs) there's so much to talk about um oh it's so much grim stuff in this book yeah we haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't even talked about any of the murders and stuff. We might not be able to. No. There's so much to talk about. Um, how long were we doing it for? About half an hour. We are, did you look at the time when we yeah. started? It was about ten past four okay. past. Um, can we talk about... Um, uh, we t- <laughs> Sorry, I'm just... <laughs> I'm just reading my initial notes. So I've got this in my notebook, which I hadn't read because I'd, I'd lost this notebook. I've just written on page four. I've written what question mark? <laughs> then I've written wetbacks, beaners, spicks. That's Mexicans. Or well, all three of those words means yeah. Mexicans. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Because wetback. Oh, obviously they're like offensive, but beaners is beans. Right. I don't know what that one. But wetbacks is like because they because people crossing the border like swam. Oh. Across, I think. Okay, yeah, I think I that's what it's called. That. I didn't get that. I've I love written. how you you're on page four. Imagine if you wrote down everything you didn't understand <laughs> for the whole book. I know. That's the thing, I just stopped after that. I was like, I'm just gonna have to <laughs> let go and yeah. just let it wash over me. I didn't look up a single word. Oh, I'm so proud of you, I Jess. Know. I've yeah, written, you wouldn't want to be Googling all these, like, terribly racist words. <laughs> I've written, are we meant to know who these people are? <laughs> Question mark. That pretty oh much sums God. up the book for me. I don't know if I... Oh, my first note is disturbing. <laughs> um, yeah, I wrote... I did write... Um, Why have you written never watch the film in capital letters? <laughs> and I crossed it out. Um... I wanted to, we could talk about like LA. So I I wrote just a little thing that I thought, mm-hmm. which was um, obviously the book is set in LA, and I don't want to sound basic by saying LA is like a character, but it's sort of you you couldn't yeah it's very much a part of the DNA of LA. And I wrote so in like the world, LA's most enduring export is Disney, kind of. Like, that's what people think of. Yeah. And in the book, the whole world of Disney and the the people behind it is exposed as being the most creepy, fucked up, corrupt mm-hmm. thing ever. Um, and then LA's most enduring obsession is fame and famous people um, and what they do and their, like, real lives and everyone's obsessed with celebrities. And then, obviously, all the sort of fucked up stuff in the book around the prostitutes having plastic surgery to like celebrities and all the famous people have like do all this terrible stuff with their money and basically trample all over people and don't care at all to get what they want and to kind of satiate all their fucked up 
desires. And then LA's most enduring preoccupation is image and what you look like on the outside. And then that's like a really creepy part of it with the plastic surgery. And not only the surgery on the prostitutes, but the fact that they kind of... um, not torture, but they they give so much plastic surgery to this boy to basically make him look like a completely mm-hmm. different person, which is a whole other part of the plot. Um, yeah. But obviously without his consent and scar him terribly for it. Um, so I just thought it was, like, it just kind of takes all the kind of wholesome, like, idealised images of L.A. and just kind of annihilates them. Yeah, or that veneer of it, it just completely strips back. I mean, do you think you could read it as a kind of social commentary on that stuff and how, like, do you think it's... Politically. Well, almost like um, something, I've not even read it, but like something Mm. like American Psycho would, I guess, or something. Well, where it's basically saying the materialism of a certain culture is making us all a bit psychopathic and all. I think you... Yeah, you could you could do that. I feel like it's quite it might be kind of quite a boring not boring but it's almost too obvious. Like I don't think his point is look like society is um corrupt because I think it's almost like a given. At, mm-hmm. But it's not like he's showing at the beginning everyone's not corrupt and then like pulls the rug out from under you. It's like from page 1. It's like yeah, look everybody's corrupt or everyone's pursuing their own aims regardless of the law so I'm not sure if he's trying to expose that I think he's trying to say that human beings are capable of terrible things and there's like this inner struggle between everybody which could like one could win out over the other I don't know I think it's I think it's more talking about like human behavior rather than socio-economic political things okay, although yeah. obviously they're like they, they are, are linked they are inextricable yeah. yeah okay yeah so it's more about human nature i mm. it's interesting though because it's kind of like what you were saying about that mickey cohen guy who is like the main kind of like gangster yeah um he's kind of a bit of a stereotype isn't he yeah he's um, a massive and quite a comic character and then maybe someone who is behind this whole intricate plot which is at the center of the book yeah when you pit those two people against each other, it's interesting because, like I said before, everyone's kind of bad, and like the the worst people in this are kind of well, they get away with it, or yeah, or actually, they're people yeah. who are institutionalized or high up. You know, they have yeah. high up positions. I guess he's not. Yeah, he's he's saying like, look, like the baddies aren't really the gangsters, mm. or yeah, um, it's the it's the politicians and the the top yeah. people in the police force. Or if you yeah. have something to offer someone, then you're pretty much safe. And yeah. you can get away with doing whatever you want. Yeah. And you can indulge your horrible, you know, sadistic, kind of yeah. sexually perverse, like, you know, whatever your desires are. As long as you've as got, long as the, you've money got the, the money behind you, then yeah. go for it. I guess it's almost like because maybe, like, I feel like everyone in society now, or the world we live in almost just assumes that is the case. Like, people mm. have no faith in institutions. Like, people just assume politicians are corrupt, don't they? But maybe if you didn't, this would be more shocking because you'd be like, how could the district attorney do that? He, No one would do that who had that position of... Um, who's supposed to be serving the interests of the public and yeah. things like that and pursuing right. 
Yeah, Mickey Cohen. Shall I read the funny bit, the funny description of Mickey Cohen, the gangster? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's a good example of his like writing style as well and how he does the Hush Hush magazine. Um, hmm. I don't know where to start. I'll just start from here. Okay. Mickey Cohen back in LA. So this is an extract from Hush Hush magazine, October 1957 issue. Mickey Cohen back in LA are his bad old good times here to stay. He was the most colourful mobster the City of Fallen Angels had ever seen, Hepcat, and to dig his act at the Macambo on the trot or the trock was like watching Daddio Stradivarius chop a fiddle from a tree trunk. He cracked jokes written by gangster gagster Davy Goldman, slip fat envelopes to the bagmen from the sheriff's department and do a wicked Lindy hop with a squeeze Audrey Anders or the other comely quails sashaying on the premises. Eyes would dart to his table and the ladies would surreptitiously survey his chief bodyguard, Johnny Stompagnato, and wonder, is he really that large? Sycophants, stooges, glad-handers, pissanters and general... Rimbamboos. I don't know what anything these things are. Would drop by the mixer's side to be rewarded with jokes, a backslap, a handout. The Mick was a soft touch for cripple kids, stray dogs, the Salvation Army, and the United Jewish Appeal. The Mick also ran bookmaking, loan sharking, gambling, prostitution, and dope rackets, and killed an average of a dozen people a year. Nobody's perfect, right, Hepcat? You leave your toenail trimmings on the bathroom floor. Mickey sends people on the night train to Slice City. <laughs> I love it. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Is that... Do you think that actually they had publications or slash, like, have publications like that that would actually talk know. about gangsters as if they're celebrities? Is that a thing? I have no idea. It's weird, isn't it? I don't know, because obviously they're, like, gossip magazines, but they're not, they're not... Yeah, not normally about actual criminals. Yeah. But then I guess it's like the equivalent of all those big, famous criminals that I've all forgotten their names of. That <laughs> <laughs> like they almost became celebrities, didn't they? Mm-hmm. They almost became like infamous and more than just somebody who is breaking the law. Celebrities in themselves. Yeah. yeah. I don't know whether they would have had publications like that though. He is a funny character. Every mm. time he's in it, he's got this weird thing with his dog. <laughs> yeah. Is yeah, and it's like And then at the end he's burying his dog. Yeah, his dog dies. Yeah. Yeah, his dog's always like pissing on him by accident or something. And like, yeah, and he's and he is presented as like the most evil person in the world, you know, in like by the police force and the law and everything. But actually like the creepiest character is Dudley Smith, who's like I can't remember his job, but he's like really high up in in, in as an authority and he is like behind it all really and is mm just absolutely heartless and ruthless and ends up getting away with everything scot-free. Although hopefully not for long. Hopefully not, yeah. Okay, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, Pretty much said everything I've written down, which is not much. Because we were like, where do we start? We just kind of went, bleh. Look. Um, I'll just have a look at what other things I've got in here in case we want to talk about any of them. I feel like I spent such a long oh, yeah. time trying to get my head around the plot and all of the yeah. kind of the way everything was connected. I spent less time with this book trying to think about the broader, like on a macro yeah. level, because I was just trying to think like, who is that person? How are they connected with this person? You yeah. know, like when in 
um, like TV or whatever, detectives go crazy and they make those things on their wall where With they all stick the, like the lines and yeah. the threads, <laughs> and draw threads between things. I yeah. wanted to do that. I was like, you the only way I'm going to understand that. this book is by doing yeah. that. Yeah, I think you, it's like you just have to go along for the ride, don't you? Definitely. I do like the ending though because he basically gets the the like some of the main characters to give like he gives them all like a massive monologue like where they explain what's really happened and it's kind of really nice for the reader because you get this nice like neat ending where they tie it all up so yeah. like so it kind of ties things together and doesn't just leave you completely wondering it does explain a lot um i re- yeah i really as well as the relationship with ed and bud i i really liked the way you saw ed like starting to pull away from his father yeah and and i've got some yeah it's it starts really early on actually because i've got a little note like halfway through the book where ed starts to question his dad because his dad has this catchphrase basically of absolute justice that he's like brought ed up saying like you have to go for absolute justice and ed starts questioning that Mm -hmm. and starts realizing that it's kind of false in the way that his dad has pursued it um and then he then decides that eventually he is going to um, arrest his father for this historic crime. Actually, he could have just let him get away with it. Or yeah. He, didn't, he doesn't actually need to pursue it. He doesn't need to arrest him, but he, he says he, he is going to arrest him. That's quite brutal, that bit. Yeah. Um, he says, I'm arresting you for the murder of Paul Dieterling. I'll be by in a few days to take you in. The man did not budge an inch. Paul Dieterling was a psychopathic killer who richly deserved the punishment I gave him. He was innocent, and it's murder one either way. Not one flicker of remorse, unbudging, unyielding, unflinching, intractable rectitude. Edmund, you're quite disturbed at this moment. Ed walked past him. His goodbye. God damn you for the bad things you made me. Damn. That's him, yeah. Just basically being like, no, I'm gonna... I'm not gonna be like you anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. That's I love that. So I just think that's a really good example of how amazing the writing is because it's it's just so deceptively simple. But when you follow these characters, it just kind of sends a shiver down your spine when you yeah. read like the dialogue like that. What do you make of his father and Innes's and that other guy's suicide at the end? That was quite weird. Yeah, and you find that out in a newspaper article, don't you? It's interesting because you see it from the perspective of the media and people that don't really know what's going on, and they and there's some of them they can almost find an explanation for, like Inez. They're sort of like, well, she was gang raped and blah blah mm. blah, and then Ray Deertling, they sort of explain away by the fact like his or his sons were killed, but then they they can't understand why Ed's dad does it because he's like this really successful businessman who's running for to be a politician and is doing really well in the polls. So to them, they're just like, why on earth would he do that? But we know that he's about to be arrested for that murder. So it's just kind of weird to see like the perspective of it from the outside. It's, it is, I was quite surprised when that happened though because I was almost like, oh, wouldn't they just try and keep trying to get away with it or yeah. try and cover it up? I don't know. And it's, yeah, it's just for them to all do it together as it's, well. It's very it's, culty, actually. Yeah. It's, like, it's like when people in a cult are sort of, like, told to do it and, and they all have this weird ritualistic 
mass suicide together. It's like they think they're kind of the land they've built around themselves is just going to disintegrate because of all of these things that are going to come out. Yeah, they can't. And they just think life isn't worth living if we don't have that. Yeah, and all that's left for them is this dreamer dreamland, i.e. Disneyland Mm. sort of fantasy, which they've built up with all their influence and their money. And it's, yeah, it's going to actually crumble around them and they they can't deal with what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. That was quite, yeah, that was quite a weird bit. I mean, it did allow for them to do that really great quote from, in the in the newspaper article that reports on the suicides and how everyone's mourning for them, like the whole country like, yeah. how, like the president says something and every, everybody flies the flag at half mast and then they have a quote from the mayor of LA um, who offers a eulogy and he says very simply these two men symbolise the fulfilment of a vision Los Angeles is a place of enchantment and high quality everyday life more than anyone else, Raymond Deertling and Preston Exley personified the grand and good dreams that have built this city. And that's just a really cool little contrast, I guess, mm. of what you know about the characters. And one of them, and just the way he uses like the language of dreams, because when one of them's confessing to everything, he starts saying, like, all three of us had dreams. Like, mine were good, his were... His were... I can't remember the words he says. What does he say? Well, one of them, he says... They were evil. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. really dark. Yeah. It's it's weird as well because um, by committing... By taking his own life, um, Exley's dad is kind of evading the justice which Ed is about to yeah. bring him. Yeah. And I was just thinking a lot that. of the justice in the book, well, especially for Bard and Inez and other people is death, Mm. is bringing people death, Mm. like, to kind of, I don't know, bring about some reconciliation for crimes that have been done. But if he takes his own life, then no one can... He's kind of stealing that from from his his son. son. Because his son is a... Because he murdered somebody because he thought they'd murdered someone else. Mm. And because he kind of promised that he wouldn't arrest them and expose the wider situation, he said, well, I'll have to kill him then which is obviously completely outside the law. So then it's quite, yeah, it's quite weird that then he avoids being arrested by taking his own life. It's like a weird mirroring of what he did initially, yeah. the crime he committed initially. And then I guess Inez just maybe goes along with it because she's so loyal to them. That's the thing, I think, I think she like completely gives herself over to them and their vision and their power and like retreats into them. And so she can't imagine like... A world without them. Mm. Yeah, I like the ending. It's quite romantic mm. as well with the Lynn yeah. bit because she stays with Bud, doesn't yeah. she? And Ed gives her loads of money, which is like his inheritance. Yeah, yeah. I like the ending. It's satisfying actually, which is nice after everything you've been put through. <laughs> <laughs> what was that thing that James Elroy said in the? documentary you watched because someone said people ask him isn't it depressing writing your novels or something and he says Hmm. my novel he said something like my novels aren't depressing they're about life or something like that this is pointless because I've forgotten the yeah I don't remember but he but, but basically he 
somebody says, oh, your novels are just all about death and corruption and murder and everyone's horrible, like, it's aren't they really depressing to write and to read? And he says, absolutely not, my novels are about, like, being alive and, like, the and kind of what it means to be alive. I, I can't remember what he says. Is, I should have looked it up. It's something like that. But, I yeah, I felt like that when I was reading it. Like, I feel like I should be feeling really down because it's just, like exposes you to just the horrific things people are capable of but actually it's like in all that like darkness and terrible things going on there's just like people just pushing themselves the limit to try and do the right thing even though it's the hardest thing yeah and and to try and overcome their like really really huge flaws Mm -hmm. and things they've done so in a way it is weirdly quite an uplifting read I found it I would say it definitely is at the end. Yeah. Like, at the beginning, I wouldn't have seen it going that way at all. But, like, yeah. At the end, it quite quickly picked up to quite an uplifting ending. And the fact that, the like, Ed Exley is an example of a character who changes so much, it is quite a hopeful message because it does show, like, you can't just say, oh, that person's, like, the career is snitch and he's never going to change because, like... He presents real people who have like choices that they make and they can go down different paths. Yeah. Yeah. People are capable of being motivated by different things. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it as well because quite often it's a bit of a cliche, that kind of troubled like detective policeman character. Do you know what I mean? He drinks too much or has this death hanging over him from yeah. a previous but they they tend to be good characters who are just plagued by something from their past yeah. I just don't think this was as simple as that like it was no. way more nuanced yeah. and three-dimensional yeah they're not you could be mistaken for thinking oh they're just like the archetypes mm. but the, he kind of like twists that and presents something much more real I don't think he based any of them on those guys in the documentary, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine if they were all just Dudley Smiths. Or... <laughs> <laughs> Dudley's always used as like an like in Harry Potter. He's like <laughs> the one that yeah. you don't like. That's true. Uses a bad name. Okay, should we start wrapping it up then? Unless there's anything else you want to say. No, I didn't. This is honestly the least prepared I've been for any of our podcasts. I know, and I've written loads of notes. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did, because if, yeah, if yeah. you hadn't, we'd have been like pretty screwed. It was more just to help me get my thoughts together. I could have done with, I mean, I finished this yesterday. I could have done with like a week after, really, like to, but oh, I was just it's like, we've been late now. I know, no, no, I know, but I was like, we have to do it because we've just been dragging it you on for said. so long. You should have said. No, 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 I didn't want it because do you know what? If we'd done that, I would have just been like, okay, I've got, you know, yeah. an extra week to finish it. And then you would, yeah, you'd just be in the same position as you yeah. are today, but a week later. And also, I mean, I really could have just done with reading it again and like really yeah. nailing down like who everyone was and stuff, but no, it's fine. I just, yeah, normally I kind of try and come up with, like, I try and put things in different themes and, like, different ideas and stuff. I just haven't done that. Yeah, you've been shit today. Yeah, I have. <laughs> you've been really good. <laughs> I don't think, like, we like we can't talk about everything that happens in it. It's not that kind of book. No, no way. This is too much. And we want people to read it. Well, so. we didn't warn of spoilers at the oh, beginning. Oh, shit. <laughs> Why didn't you interrupt me? 
<laughs> Where at what point? I only realised halfway through, and I was like, it's a bit oh. late now. I'll just spoilers. To... <laughs> Actually, we haven't really given that much away. Unless you uh, genuinely think all the people are going to be not corrupt and we've exposed it. Yeah, are. maybe. I'll put it in the little description. Yeah. So people know before they in start capital letters. Are you going to give it a rating then? Yeah. Oh God, I have to try and think of what um, I'm going to give Object. it. Object. Yeah, well, there's so many. Um, hmm. I'll probably just give it 10. Really? Yeah, because I can't... I, if I gave it any less than 10, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint why. So you don't think there's anything wrong with it? No. no. Wow, okay. I think it's amazing. I think all the stuff we've said about, like, not being able to keep up with the characters and all that stuff, I don't mm. think that's a flaw. I think that's what makes it amazing. What it, And I don't think I would want it to, like, spell it out for me, otherwise it wouldn't be written in the way it was. Yeah. So I'll give it 10 out of 10. Uh, 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 Roll uh, the skates. Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> Jess. Only people who've read it will get that <laughs> reference. <laughs> 10 out of 10 gangster dogs. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to give it an 8. Because I so didn't what, really why like it. it. What's the, why does it lose two points for you? It, that, it would just be a taste thing. Like, yeah. it wouldn't be me thinking it's any worse for yeah. the things I don't like about it. It's just, for me, stylistically, it's just, like, not the favourite, you know, my favourite yeah. book I've ever read. Yeah. But I, I agree with you that it definitely adds to it and... I think I, like, when I finished it, I was just like, fucking hell, that was amazing, and I couldn't stop thinking about it, and just, yeah. as I was reading it, I was just, like, getting more and more into it, and when, you know when you just finish something, and you just, yeah, like, you kind of just feel like you've just been knocked over, mm-hmm. like, it's so amazing, that's, I had that feeling, which I didn't think I would, but I had that feeling, so I have to give it a 10. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what I look for. And that's really great, like, yeah. I definitely had small versions of that towards the end Mm. but I think I think I definitely could have read it in a in a better way I think if I'd read it for longer I was reading it in quite short bursts and stuff and that probably broke it up and made it quite disjointed and stuff but no I think it's a really really good book eight is a good score yeah I mean we've never given a book a 10 before I know I'll give other books 10s definitely it can share the, the top spot. <laughs> um, okay. Cool. So now I need to say what we're reading next. Yes. Where have I written it down? Okay. So next we're reading a book called Housekeeping by Marilyn Robinson. Okay. I don't know a lot about her. I know she's an American author. Um, and she wrote a trilogy, but I've forgotten what it's called. Uh, but I think Housekeeping might have been her first book. Um, but yeah, I've never okay. read anything by her before, so that'll be interesting. Look forward to it. Yeah. I'll go out and get my copy. Mm-hmm. Yay! Done. Do you think that that was okay? No, I think it was shit. <laughs> Do you? No, but it's fine. Okay. It's too late now. We're not going to do it oh, again. Oh no! What do you mean? 
No, it was fine, wasn't it? It was good, yeah. Okay. I think we we got quite seriously into it. Yeah. Quite fast. Which is for a change. She's AJ. This is oh, the L-A. Fir- yeah, this is, <laughs> this is the first time I've ever used these sticky things. I never used them when I was a student. I just found them the other day. Um, and I kept doing it wrong because I kept writing them upside down and then because re- I then realised it needed to be stuck on the other page and then they, the sticky bit was the wrong side. So they were all like upside down and back to front. And then I was like, how do you write when you've stuck it in? Like, I was turning the book like that. You went to write on them first. I didn't know, for God's sake. So it wasn't that helpful. Yeah, that was L.A. Now we should watch the film, then. Oh, God, yeah. You know it's got Kevin Spacey in it? Yeah, I do know. I feel like... No, I think I will watch it, because I think this is so strong that it's not going to, like, over... The film isn't going to override it. I'll just see it as, like, a separate thing. It is really different, apparently, as but well. But also, it's like, then every time I think of the characters, I'll think of... The actors. To be honest, I already do that because I looked up when I was looking it up. I saw who played who. Who played Ed? It's really well cast, I think. Is it? Ed. Ah, Ed is some person who. I don't know. Um, But they are famous. Matt Damon. Is he in it? No. Guy Pearce. I haven't really shit with names of famous people. Oh, that's funny because he's got the same glasses. So I think this. Ed. So this is Jack. Oh, for goodness' sake! That is Matt Damon. No, it's not. No, the one in the middle. No, that's Isn't it. I think that's Guy. Oh. Pierce. That's. Oh, I don't know. I just. There's so much dark stuff in this novel. I just can't imagine them really going for it. I think that that's really well cast. That that's, yeah. that's how I imagine yeah. him looking. Really, like, stiff upper lip. Yeah, like, with those glasses. Yeah, and like, rimless glasses. Bud White is played by Russell Crowe. Oh. Uh, I think yeah, that's I kind quite of imagine him to look like that. Who plays Lynn? Um, is she the one that um, James Elroy's? talking about at the beginning of the documentary where the woman, the old lady's like, she's so beautiful. Yeah. Her. Yeah, she is, to be fair. That is how I imagined her too. Yeah. Okay. So I do think it's really well cast. Yeah, but that's only one bit of it. Yeah, I like. don't think Innes is even in it. That's how I think that's the... That's crazy. That's like the whole plot, though. Oh, maybe that's her. Yeah, that'll be her. Yeah, that could be her. But are they going to do all the stuff about, like, the... Porn mags of all the incense, incense. That would be nice. Incest and <laughs> and the weird like murder, sex, porn. I feel like stuff. how could you do it without the porn? Yeah. Really. Or as they call it, smut. <laughs> What's the whole thing about the porn and then um, painting red on it? So they get like because it's like really sort of artistic, well produced. Smut. <laughs> Smut. Um, so they get like an artist who he like draws in like fake blood over the over. So they take these like really stylized photos of orgies and stuff, and then they like he draws like blood spurting out of them and things, and that's part of the. Is that meant to be sexy? Book. Well, it's not like sexy blood, but that's supposed to be what's turning people on, yeah. And then that's like. Um, and then they have all the like dismemberment stuff. So they'll like 
they made it look like they had like their arms and their legs coming off and all the blood spurting out. And then that's when he finds the guy actually really murdered like that as well. I feel like that's quite niche. They should have probably made some more mainstream porn. Actually, like, yeah, I feel like we should cut this bit in. Because that's actually something I thought is like, what it's almost like because all these people are so rich and famous or like rich and influential, the more rich and powerful you are, the more like weird your like sexual preferences are yeah it's like it's almost like the turn on is the fact that they have all that money to pay people to do this and to produce this stuff and to buy it like that's the like thing that turns them on rather than it's almost like normal sex is just what any old person on the street yeah so that it's like as they get more rich and more powerful they need to like more and more extremes yeah they can literally pay people to have plastic surgery and to make them how they want them to look. And or, do anything that they want. Yeah, yeah. Like have yeah, like have sex with horses, I think is one of them, isn't it? There's a load of yeah. horse sex. And like and the and then like there's male there's like male prostit- prostitutes but who aren't gay that they like pay to have like male like sex with another man and it's just it's just like their control over people, I guess, or their the fact they can just use their money to yeah. kind of put together any grotesque scene they want is like kind of the thread of it. It is interesting, yeah, that all the criminals are quote unquote criminals are just involved in kind of like almost petty crimes. Yeah. <laughs> to do with drugs and stuff, and then all of the rich and famous people are um, yeah. enrolled in these horrific or you know, they're they're the ones consuming it kind of thing or creating a demand yeah. for it. Because it's, yeah, because these magazines are, like, quite, it's, it's like, they're sort of, like, um, not elite. What, what's it when you only print, like, a few copies? I'm trying to think of a specific word. Um, like, they don't, like, mass produce them. They just make, like, small amounts of them and then you have to, like, know the phone number. It's and exclusive. The, yeah, yeah, and you have to know the password to say on the phone in order to get access to them and everything. Mm. So it's just, like, validating people's opinion of themselves as elite I guess I was just thinking as well when you were saying about the porn having to be really extreme um it's similar or a parallel is that heroin they're trying to produce which is like meant to be the best heroin ever and yeah it's like a wit and it's like yeah it's like a new strain of the drug isn't it yeah and then yeah I yeah I wasn't sure it's like everything's yeah. trying to be refined, like so it brings more and more, more, and more pleasure. Yeah, yeah, pleasure. Yeah, and then there's that kind of creepy guy behind it all who's this really kind of genius chemist who kind of uses his knowledge of all these drugs to kind of control people. Mm. Um, because there is that one guy, this is getting into the complicated plot now, but there's that one guy, and I can't remember why they do it, but they basically, he kind of gets him that he he get he pays that was it he's trying to come up with this amazing new kind of heroin and he and he basically pays this guy to keep trying it out doesn't he all all his different like um experiments with it and different yeah mixtures he keeps giving it to him to try it out and basically pays him but then obviously this guy just becomes totally addicted and fucked up because some of them affect him really badly and he has these like terrible trips Mm. and so then he's just completely indebted to him because he needs more of it and he's just always trying out all the different ones and um it's quite horrible yeah and then the guy kind of does it on purpose to basically keep him from 
exposing him or... Well, he doesn't know that he knows anything. No. Because he's just talking about it while the guy is oh, yeah. high. But he does. But he does. He hears, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so something I'd, I'd just completely forgotten about I'd that bit. I'd forgotten about that until you just said it. There's probably so many bits. There's so many forgotten. layers. It's, but it's weird, though, because was it just illegal to make pornography magazines? Because they had, like... The whole point is it's they don't know, like the actual content of it they just have that whole division in the police where it's like what do they call it like um what's the name of the team of policemen something vice but they're basically their job is to like find people who make porn and arrest them yeah so it's like porn was just illegal or something i think maybe it was and that's and like that's kind of what you get put on duty for if if you're sort of if you've done something wrong because you don't then get to like solve big crimes like murders you just yeah. have to go and find like people who are selling porn magazines yeah. which is how jack gets into it yeah we've done that thing where we kind of ended but <laughs> then, then we, we kind t- of carried on like bonus material like, yeah i think there's something about officially finishing it that we then like think of <laughs> loads of stuff to say god's sake so we unprofessional just... Your, this is your amazing editing skills. You'll have to just, like, pretend that we st- were saying all this stuff at the beginning. Well, up until now, I feel like it's been really good. And, like, we actually, there's going to be nothing to edit out. But there's now... There's loads of pauses. Not well, really long ones. Yeah, a couple. You can edit some of the good porn chat into yeah, okay. the proper serious bit. Okay. But, yeah, we need to remember to say bye. Have we, have we not done that? No, that's what I mean. Like, last time we just didn't say bye and just carried on talking okay. and then it just, just ended. Say bye. Yeah. Bye. bye. <laughs>